Welcome to the Happy Client Show. This is the weekly podcast dedicated to helping inbound agencies master the art of truly delighting their clients. This episode is brought to you by Do Inbound, the project and process management platform built by an agency for agencies. Learn more at doinbound.com. Now, here are your hosts, Ben and Andrew. Hey guys, welcome to the Happy Client Show. Hey, before we start the show here, would you mind signing on the dotted line? That is the talk that you should have going into your client relationships. My name is Ben Butler, and I'm joined here, coffee in hand, by my co-host, Andrew. Would you mind signing here before I introduce you? Okay, heck, good. Heck Andrew no. Dimsky. <laughs> so I, if you guys couldn't tell from our horrible, horrible transitioning into this episode, I mean – we, that was a, a like an intro, like I was crashing down from space to the earth. I burned up way in the atmosphere, though. Uh, but we're talking about contracts, guys, and how to write an agency client contract. Andrew, you're the veteran in this relationship. Tell me how you've seen contracts make or break relationships. Well, I know that if you if you just breeze over the contract and you don't highlight the elements within that the client is going to come back with questions that they weren't anticipating. So don't ever give a client a contract in which they're going to find things in the fine print that they didn't already know going into it. That's one thing. Have a contract in place that clearly lays out what does additional scope of work look like. That's number two. And number three is just talk through the whole thing before you sign. Get together with your client after you've come up with a solution. You get a verbal commitment from them on that solution have a contract in place and go through it together so that everyone knows everyone's on the same page about what's coming next, specifically around getting paid, Ben, because we as agencies need paid for our work. That's an important step. Wait, we do? When yes. Did, when did that become a thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things that, you know, as an agency, you can't always turn the lights off if someone doesn't pay. So, and you, there's so many situations that are left up to the imagination that you have to think through and you have to hash out. Not only just from a sense of you know protecting your agency but ultimately protecting the people who work for you because someone who doesn't pay on time is you know that could interrupt payroll and that payroll that doesn't come could be a missed rent check a rent payment or mortgage payment for you know someone on your team so this really trickles down and what a contract does it is the ultimate fire prevention technique and we're talking all about client fires this season and Prevention is the most important step, I would say. You know, obviously knowing how to fight a fire when it breaks out is yeah. important, but 98% of those fires can be squashed if you have prevention. And the contract is where I see agencies, where I've seen myself fail and other agencies fail every day to big, massive, massive losses because they don't have good enough contracts. And, you know, a lot of people say to me, Ben, what are the odds that things go wrong? And I said, you're asking the wrong question. I said, it's not the odds. It's a matter of preparing for the worst and hoping for the best. It doesn't matter if one in a hundred client relationships go wrong. It's that one that's going to get you. And so here are some essentials of writing a solid agency client contract. Andrew, kick us off. First of all is don't be legalese. If you can avoid like a legalese text within your contract, definitely do it. We don't want to throw a ton of paragraphs upon paragraphs of stuff that the client doesn't even understand what it's saying. And frankly, you don't understand what it's saying because you just copied it out of a template. So get that stuff out of there. Spend the time to write a clear contract in a way that legally makes sense. So 
spend time either working with an attorney to craft this stuff or review some templates that are out there. Make it easy to read, easy to understand so that expectations are clear. The goal here is to be crystal clear. That's a big, big step inside of this client or inside this contract process. The next thing is just start by citing both parties, understanding who is doing what through the contract. Ben, do you want to highlight this for a little bit? Yeah, and this is where a lot of people get things wrong. And thanks for reminding me. I almost forgot to mention at the beginning, you know, these are some pointers and some essentials, but before you actually start using anything, I I cannot recommend enough that you sit down with an attorney. You might say to yourself, oh yeah, this template I got online is good enough. No, it's not. And it also is probably going to forget a lot of things that you will learn in hindsight or yeah. in a legal process. So sit down with an attorney and also make sure that that attorney is not a legalese attorney because I cannot tell you how frustrated I get when someone sends me a contract and it's in legalese. It's unnecessary. They're, it's almost demoralizing and kind of is like they're looking down on you and trying to talk with big words and big phrases. You know what? They don't even know what it means. So keep it crystal clear and make sure your attorney writes in a clear language and not in doctor script verbally. So when you're citing both parties, this is where people get it wrong because state by state – or you know, depending on where you're located in the world, there could be a business with a very similar name to you, maybe in a different country or state. And so if you don't state the exact legal name of that party and this is a non-negotiable item and their official business address, you could accidentally misidentify – and I, that's a George Bush term there, misidentify, you know, the person who that you're working with. And so, you know, they might not say anything, but let's say that you have to enforce this contract legally. The whole contract could be void because you've accidentally cited a business that actually is the wrong one because there's so many likely business names that are similar. So if you have the business address, it's, you know, you can't dispute it is the business, and if they gave you the wrong business address, then that's fraud to a certain degree, but make sure you get the right one. You double-check it. This will prevent misidentification, and also, you don't have to cite them by full legal name and full address through the whole contract. You can add abbreviations, but only after you cite who's doing what, including yourself, and that's another point, is you have to cite yourself as well, and I know some agencies think they're cheeky and all clever by only listing the client in the contract. But who's, who else is in this agreement? If it's between one person and themselves, well, then you're not in it. I'm sorry. So you need to make sure that you are also cited by your legal name and your legal business address to make sure that it is rock solid who's involved and who's who. And those abbreviations that I mentioned a few minutes ago by this point, they can also help you do that, and they're meant to make things easier to read and to not be legalese. So start by citing both parties officially. That's a big one. The next thing we talk about is a duration and what signifies an end. We don't want to sign a contract that just goes on into eternity. We want to be able to set a duration on it. So whether it's a rolling 90-day engagement or it's a 12-month contract, we want to document that. What signifies the end of that contract as well? Is it a date on the calendar? Is it a certain number of deliverables reached? Is it a mutually agreed upon something else? Whatever it is, let's set a duration and set an end. And this is going to help you in terms of how long you work with a client. You know, we want to have a contract in place that defines exactly what we've agreed to through the sales process. So 
don't be afraid to document that in there, setting the duration, start date and end date. And then what defines that end? Is it a rolling calendar point? So if it's a 12 month contract, we know when it ends. We want to start talking about the next one, you know, two or three months before that date, but clearly articulate in the contract, the length of it. That's a really important step moving forward. That rolls into clearly defining the scope of work that you're going to be doing in regards to that contract. Breaking this down as specifically as possible is important if you want to charge for additional work outside of that scope. Documenting this is a critical, I mean, it's, it's a must-have first step, Ben, because inevitably the client's going to push back on you and say, hey, we got this idea. What do you think about this? And if you don't have scope of work documented inside the contract, how do you? How are you positioned to tell them, hey, this is outside of the scope? Yeah, and that's a key point. I mean, that's this is where a lot of agencies get in trouble. And I'm not pretending like I've done this perfectly every time. I know this because I've made all of these mistakes at some point. Yeah. So I've seen these go wrong. But if you don't get specific, and I mean specific, let's use an example. Say we're building a website. How many revisions are done? To the mock-ups. Mm-hmm. How many mock-ups are you going to do? How many rounds total? What happens if you know you don't if they don't like those website designs or those mock-ups? And you know what what's the next step then? And you know what happens if they ask for more than two rounds of revisions on the actual development after approving the mock-ups? Or what if they request a major design change after the mock-ups have been approved and the site's been developed? You know, you have to get so specific about these things and leave no room for, you know, you to get taken advantage of. And that's really up to you, not the client. Because if it's not in there, I don't blame a client for taking advantage of it because it's there. So you need to be very specific. And again, like you were saying, Andrew, this helps you discuss out-of-scope work. And we talk a lot about scope creep here. Scope creep will burn down your agency. It is a fire starter, you know, and it starts day by day. Scope creep is not something that just happens one day. It's a day-to-day decision. And you always have a choice to say no. And you don't have to be real rude about it either. You could say, you know, we'd love to do that. Let me get a price for you. Exactly. And so you want to make clear that you do not entertain out of scope work. And again, we talk about the the sins of agency past. You know, agencies have kind of set the precedent that, hey, pay us once, we'll do whatever you want for the rest of your life. No, that's not the case. And you can't run a profitable, enjoyable agency that way. So clearly define and address scope work, you know, out of scope work for sure. Yeah. Next point we want to hit on here is um, identifying payment terms and just how payment flows through the contract. And again, here, this is important to not just put these in the contract and send it over to the client, but talk through them and tell them what does each thing mean here. So if you have, say you're running net 21 on your invoices, that means if you want to be paid prior to, if you want to be paid at the beginning of month for that month's work, then the invoice is going to go out 21 days before the first of the month. Explaining that invoice schedule so that the client knows what they're paying for and when it starts and how everything flows forward, that's important. Laying that out inside the contract is key and then walking them through that process. Sharing with them that there are going to be late payments. If they miss a if they miss the deadline for an invoice, there are late payments associated with that. Sharing that with them and how that process plays out, that's important to have that documented inside your contract so that in real life, you can kind of hold folks accountable there. And Ben, I like to, I like to have the option of waiving a fee versus charging a fee without telling them. I always yeah. want to be able to kind of give grace in that situation and be able to say, hey, 
you know what, you've been paying on time for the last six months. This is the first time. We're going to go ahead and waive that late fee. That's a great position to be in because you're actually doing, they feel like you're doing them a favor at that point. But having those late fees on your contract, on your invoices is the best way to get your clients to pay on time because they're going to push and push and push to extend that window. And you never want to be in that position. Come in, have this well-documented through the contract so that they know what to expect before it even starts. Yeah, and I think another thing that agencies never think about because you know we're not really a hundred percent dealing with a tangible service all the time. And sure, you know the products are rock solid in certain cases. Like a website is a website, you know, an inbound campaign is an inbound campaign. But sometimes we don't treat them in the sense that way, and clients don't either. So what happens if a client asks for a refund? This is a biggie that I, I often hear is missing from contracts. You know, if someone pays a fifty percent deposit. Is that deposit ever returned? Yes or no? And what happens upon the final payment? Can a client request a refund after all the work has been completed? Yes or no? And if you're not addressing these things and it's not clear in your contract, well, guess what? You know, if a client wants to dispute it enough, they can take you to court. And I would be willing to guess that you lose because you haven't addressed the refund request element. And at the very least, you'll spend a lot of money trying to fight them against that. So the more of these things you can take out of the equation, and that's one thing I would say right in the sales process, hey, when you pay this deposit, it's non-refundable. And whenever you pay the final payment, that's it. It's not refundable. That's just the terms of this agreement. And by signing this, that is what you agree upon. And this rolls right into number eight here, which is a termination clause. And this isn't just, you know, about the termination itself. It's about all of the events that happen after the termination clause. And that's why I kind of rolled into this from the refund request because, you know, if in a termination clause, and I think everyone understands what that is, you know, you can state that with enough notice and with, you know, certain calibers of cause or certain items of cause that you can say this contract, I'm ending it. I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. And that's really it. That's all well and good, right? But what happens to everything else that's up in the air at that point? What if you're 60% through a project? Do you, as an agency, do you release those drafted items? Do you withhold them? Do you return money? Do you keep money? Do you refund a percentage? You know, what, what happens there? Do you, I think the biggest point here is, you know, what if you complete three out of five deliverables, but you haven't been paid for those deliverables because the final payment hasn't come yet? Are you going to let those slip out if someone requests a termination? Or do you withhold all deliverables until the final payment is received? So those are just some things to think about in the sense of termination. I love having that documented in there just so the client knows that there is a way out. You know, you if you if you have a client you sign them to a twelve month contract and six months in they're just not happy, you know it doesn't do you any good as an agency to hold on to that client just for the revenue. That's a toxic situation. So having a termination clause in there is important. Then the next step here is a breach of contract. What is uh what do folks need to be thinking about when it comes to breaching contracts? Yeah, and this is one that I honestly I never really thought about. Uh, until it happened to me. And again, this is like one of those one in a hundred situations where uh, I was doing a project and the client went, uh, they went blank on me. They There was radio silence and it was one of those situations where I was like, are they alive? I, I don't know. Like they just went radio silent and they had paid their 50% upfront deposit and went, you know, never heard from them for six weeks. Well, they come back and they said, hey, 
you know, for the exact same deliverables that we paid you for and we're going to engage, you know, you for, we went out and found someone else, paid them, and they completed the deliverables to our satisfaction. Well, that's not really ethical in my opinion. You know, if they wanted to do that, they should have requested a termination, communicated it, and I might have thought about giving a refund for that deposit because, you know, I didn't really even do any work. They just hired me, went off, found someone else, hired them, went through. And so what is what constitutes a breach of contract? And basically the best way to think about a breach of contract is what are actions that are taken or not taken that would uh, initiate the ending of a contract? But when I say a breach of contract, there is most often a penalty for that. So one of the things that I have really fought for to be in contracts for agencies is to say, hey, if someone engages another agency without informing or terminating this agreement with you, I say that you should have a term that says that they should pay the full amount indicated by the contract because that's just absolute nonsense. So let's say they pay the 50%. They go out, they engage another agency without telling you, and they complete the deliverables without terminating. They should pay that other 50% because you know they left you hanging and they didn't handle things properly. Or you know what happens if they do X, Y, or Z? That's going to terminate the contract. And not just that, what is the penalty for that action? And again, this might be one in a hundred, but it's that every one in a hundred, that's honestly, it's really going to hurt. So you have to protect yourself from it. Yeah. Documenting these things, guys, these are not the situations we want to be thinking about, but documenting what happens in these scenarios is always good to do up front. Good fences make good neighbors and good contracts make good clients. So just documenting in there, what does signify a breach of contract? How do we terminate this contract if no one's happy? What happens if we're late on an invoice? All of these things are not fun to think about, but they're important to document. The next point on the list is discussing copyrights and who holds them. You know, as agencies, we're deep in the creative space. We're creating source files for a lot of things, a lot of design work here, a lot of copy is written. So who owns that copy? That's big to document in there who owns what through this process. And no matter which way you want to go with this, it's just important to identify who holds it. So in my experience, it's been the client owns the copyrights in all the situations, but you know, in your specific situation, it might be different. So understanding copyrights and who holds them, that's an important piece of the contract process. A non, um, non-disclosure agreement is something else you might want to consider inside of your contracts. Ben, do you want to dig into this NDA point and just why is this something that folks might want to consider as part of their agency contracts? Yeah, and this is one of those things where a non-disclosure agreement and I try to think of these things as beneficial for both sides for a lot of these points. You know, the termination clause and breach of contract can apply to not only your client, you should add stuff for your agency. Like what if your agency fails to deliver something or handle something wrong? You know, what indicates breaches of contract? So these aren't all one-sided in a sense. Same with the non-disclosure agreement. It's mutually beneficial. Basically, it's I'm not going to release any proprietary information about your organization because as an agency we're going to hear stuff that the organization has not released to the public you know maybe it's a product maybe it's a um you know a certain piece of news that is not really some of our business but your point of contact accidentally lets it slip at lunch or on a phone call or in an email you know and vice versa i mean this really protects us from each other and ourselves you know if an agency has a very secret method 
and they have to reveal that method to a client. And honestly, I, I don't know what that secret would be, but uh, you know, you just really want to protect yourself from unsolicited exposures of information. You know, what if you accidentally reveal information about a client of yours to a client? You know, if you don't have an NDA and that client goes out, tells your other client, client gets mad and fires you. You know, that's that's a violation of your NDA. So it's really basically in layman's terms, it's I'm not going to talk about anything about you without permission and you're going to do the same for us. And that weeds out all kinds of trouble. Awesome. Get on the same page here about who's sharing what. Now, the last point on the list, the last thing we want to consider is indemnity. That's a hard word to pronounce. I I still to this day have trouble with that one. (laughs) (laughs) Ben, tell us about this. Why should people pay attention to this? Yeah, and this is a really important clause, indemnity. It is basically states where is the liability in the relationship. And again, this is one of those things. If it's not in your contract, guess who's going to get blamed at the end of the day and guess who has nothing to do about it? Well, you as an agency. An indemnity clause basically states that any lost profit, any damages, any whatever's as a result of the work of your agency, like let's say that you know there is an issue with the website that you built that's an e-commerce store and that e-commerce site goes down one day and they miss out on a projected $10,000 in sales. This prevents the organization and the client from suing you to compensate them that $10,000. And why do I put this in here? Well, you know, who's to say whose fault it is? And so by putting that you're not liable for, you know, any damages or, you know, situations incurred by the work that you're doing, you're going to root out some of the the finger pointing, but you're also just going to protect your agency. You know, it's a two-way street and you both need to be uh, on your heels and you need to be very cautious, but you need to protect yourself from getting sued for things that might necessarily not be your fault, but also you know things that can be pointed back to you, although, again, that's not necessarily your fault. So something very important to consider. Awesome. Well, here are 12 points that you guys should consider as you're constructing your agency contracts. And again, like Ben said at the beginning, as you're going through this process, whatever you come out with, make sure you have an attorney review it with you. And if you're having an attorney just create your contracts, make sure that they walk you through it so you know what you're asking the client to sign at the end of the day. These are 12 things to think about. A legal expert is going to share with you a lot more things and make sure you have everything structured and in place so that when you kick off client projects with a client, you've got a rock-solid contract. And remember, the goal is that each person knows the expectations prior to signing on that dotted line. That is what we're trying to do here with rock-solid contracts. Thank you for listening to The Happy Client Show. You can find the notes for today's episode at doinbound.com slash happy. That's doinbound, all one word, dot com slash happy. Today's show is sponsored by Do Inbound, the world's first process and project management platform built specifically for inbound marketing agencies. Learn more at doinbound.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review of the show to help spread the happy client show vibes.